1: podcast i'm lucas and i'm grant and if you're joining us for the very first time thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful journey of discovering new and good music well new to us and good music um if it's your first time listening we're so glad you're here leave a like and subscribe if you are so daring leave us a review if you enjoy it or maybe some things that we should change um down in that review be sure to let us know what artists you'd like to have us talk about if you also want to get in touch with us uh, or in touch with other lovers of good music, go to at Good Music Podcast on Facebook and, and Instagram. And there's more information and updates and things about the podcast there. And you can also suggest your favorite artist, and we will cover them because we we make it we make it a point to cover at least one uh, fan suggested artist every month. So we're eventually going to run out, and we definitely want you guys to to listen to things that you're excited about and passionate about and we want to hear what you're passionate about as well so be sure to do that and if you want to support the podcast financially for a few bucks a month and get some really sweet perks down in the description there is a link to a patreon page and you get access as a patron to early episodes and you get access to exclusive content such as our bad music podcast where we talk about the worst songs of every artist every week and we have some really bad ones this week so uh that's gonna be a very <laughs> yeah a very fun time so if you're thinking about joining that you'll definitely want to you'll definitely want to join in on this one um and we talked about queen last episode right so it was yeah yeah, we volume, did queen volume three and i'm like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna listen to the entire discography and i did i listened through every single album they put out, studio album, I didn't listen to the posthumous record because I just, I felt like I would, I needed to sit and process the whole uh, discography that Freddie Mercury was intimately involved in. And it was really weird. It was, I had enough things I needed to do that I was able to sit down and listen to everything, uh, but also I was overwhelmed so I could really pay attention to the music And I felt like you, normally when you listen to a a band's discography, you kind of hear them grow up. Like a lot of those um, early thrash bands, right? You hear the real young, like, angst, teen angst in some of those early Metallica, Megadeth records. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they, like, mature into the late 80s, the 90s, early 2000s, and you get more sophisticated type of stuff. Queen started out, like, very sophisticated and smart. Um, and so you really, instead of seeing a band grow up, you kind of felt that they were growing old, you know, and almost fearing like they were going to become irrelevant. I felt like at some point, some of the albums, like um, The Miracle or Some Kind of Magic. Let me tell you, Some Kind of Magic was some kind of bad. Like it's It's one of their weaker ones. It was... Every single one of them sound the same. I mean, um, Roger looked like Johnny Bravo on the cover. It was weird, but that one was notably bad. Like the other, their other records were really good, really strong. Like all the deep cuts, all the way through, it was just strong, strong, strong. There's know, some good stuff.
0: It. There's some good stuff on Magic. Like uh, I think that "Who Wants to Live Forever" is a top twenty song. Um one Vision is a great rock song. Kind of Magic has a has a great, um, like, more lighthearted yet driving feel to it. Although I will say that their live version of it, I think, is the better version. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, Don't Lose Your Head is something that I would say just barely missed out the bottom six. <laughs> um, One Year of Love is, is awkward. Uh, Friends Will Be Friends is kind of lame, corny. But, you know, Pain is Close to Pleasure is interesting. And then Princess of the Universe is, is actually a pretty cool, hard rocking song. And then Give Me the Prize leans a little bit too much on the movie, but there's some cool moments in it. But I will say that it's it's one of their weakest ones, but yeah. there's still some really good stuff on it.
1: I I was a big fan of The Game and The The worst. Game is good. The yeah, oh, The
0: Works is... That's kind of become one of their Dark Horse records as well. I was That's, so surprised. that one's
1: really good. I was so surprised by like there was there were some things that I recognized and I was like, oh yeah, I remember this song and it's pretty good. And then there were some things that I had never heard before. I'm like, this is this is really interesting. Yeah, um, like it's a hard life and it was very cool. It was cool, like I'm gonna get in my tan leather, uh dark blue 1950s Mustang with my hair combed and gelled back in my leather jacket with the guys,
0: mm-hmm. and we're going to
1: listen to the works. That's what is. That's what it felt like, um, and it was. I thought it was pretty poetic that uh, innuendo ended with the show must go on. Oh
0: yeah, it's that's that's a that's a contender for one of their best ones.
1: That is that is another one of those early songs that I've learned. Um, just as a as a guitar player that was one of the first songs that I learned and, and performed in front of an audience and I didn't realize the um, historical significance I mm-hmm. thought it was just like Freddie Mercury writing a song that's very dramatic but I'm like I get it now because yeah anyway it was just it was a great it was a great weekend for me living in the world of, of Queen and obviously this is a really long like intro thing because that was a that was a very long episode so hopefully we'll have a a much shorter episode this time because it is just a volume one we're not going to delve too deep but there is plenty to talk about with this artist who are we talking about
0: we are finally returning back to grunge it's been like almost two years since we last uh Came in with Soundgarden. We're going to be talking about Pearl Jam. Yeah. One of one of the big four. I mean, I guess you could make an argument that there's a big five, but... Who's the fifth? Um, uh, if you want to add Stone Temple Pilots in there, which uh, I yeah. could say that they're... I would say they're big enough to be able to... But they are definitely the smallest of the other four. The other four being Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, and Alice in Chains. Ooh, Alice in Chains. That's... that's that's undisputed. Like those are the big 4, but Stone Temple Pilots also was quite big.
1: Yeah, they um, they're still pretty pretty uh, relevant. I would Yeah, think.
0: I mean, I mean they they definitely lost relevance when their lead singer died.
1: Well, that's but, that's kind of the curse of being a grunge band. Yeah, that no ki-
0: no kidding, but you're, you're, um, yeah. They they definitely had a they had a stronger resilience than some of the others. But I will say, no other grunge band has lasted as long as Pearl Jam has. They're still together, and it's pretty much the same guys.
1: I didn't know that.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm already learning things, wow.
0: <laughs> so, well then let's, let's use that as a jumping off to our first thoughts. So, when I say we're talking about Pearl Jam, what comes to your mind?
1: Well, so obviously, like anyone else, when I first listened to the songs, not knowing who it was, from the first note, I knew exactly. Well,
0: yeah, I that knew that you. Happened. I knew that you would know that song. I talked about I, it love, before.
1: I love that whole album that mm-hmm. I would blast that. Well, blast it in my headphones. So not really blasted, but um, kind of my freshman year of college. I would I jammed out to a lot of 10. So pretty
0: much when you discovered grunge through Soundgarden?
1: Um I think actually before that. It might have been a yeah, I think it might have been a little bit before that. Um but I discovered the other grunge bands through Soundgarden. But we'll we'll certainly talk about that when we get to a very particular one. Um but no, I I I like all the songs on 10. I like the sound of 10. I like the way that you get this feeling of space. The mix really works well for them. Um, So all of those songs that are off that album that we're talking about, I am very uh, familiar with everything else though. I am just, I, I never, I never got it. Like, I don't know what it was, but the magic just happened on that record and I haven't been able to find it on hardly any other song. And so listening through some of this set, I was just kind of like, okay, this is actually good. Okay, this is actually good. Like, it's it's good in a different way. It's like there's a different philosophy about it. I don't understand it. I can't put my finger on it. Well, I'll um, explain it when seems, we get there. It just seems like they they kind of are, are a little bit more versatile than I had originally thought. Maybe for the better, maybe for worse. Uh, but we'll see. And I don't know hardly any facts about them. I just know that the lead singer's first name is Eddie. I <laughs> I had to look up his name, like make sure it was E-D-D-I-E and not E-D-D-Y or something because you had just yeah. sent me that, that video of uh, Harry singing Jeremy and I was going to make a joke but I didn't know how to pronounce his name. So yeah, I just, I don't know anything about them is what I'm trying to say. I okay. love, love their music off that album. But that's it. That I think that's kind of like the the average uh, Pearl Jam listener, though. So I have to put myself at I'll I actually say I'd at a seven because I like that album so much. I'd say I'm at a seven.
0: Yeah, that's that's a that's a good uh, uh, spot to be at.
1: Yeah, it's a a great starting spot.
0: Um, I feel like a seven would be fairly um, the same for me as well. Um, my introduction to Pearl Jam is thanks to the likes of Guitar Hero and Rock Band. Um, I remember on, on Rock Band or on Guitar Hero 2, they had Life Wasted, which is the strangest pick for a Pearl Jam song to put on there. Literally, I think it was because that was the new album at the time and they wanted to promote it by putting the lead single on the game. But it's, 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 it's an okay song, but not near, but then Guitar Hero 3 had Even Flow. And that's when I was just like, oh, okay, this is really cool. Oh, yeah. But then it was when I played Rock Band 2 and that had a live on it, that that was kind of when I was just like, oh, okay. I, I will say that I, I actually really do like Pearl Jam because this song rocks. And so um, that was definitely – that was like the first one that I bought off of iTunes. Remember when people still bought songs off iTunes and then just stream any everything? Yeah. It seems like such a long time ago.
1: I I'm not familiar with that era at all.
0: Yeah. Oh man, that I'm, was I'm too young. That was. I remember we had a a five song a week budget that we were allowed to have as kids. <laughs> and it ha- and all songs had to be pre approved with lyrics before we could before we could buy them. And we had our iPod shuffles. Did you ever have one of those? I actually did. Where it- it's just got a hundred songs on it.
1: Yeah, I hardly and ever you, used it
0: though.
1: And you can only listen to it in shuffle mode. I was not. I was not big into music when those were still relevant. Yeah, I mean, once that was... once I got into music, YouTube was kind of YouTube kind of had everything.
0: Once you filled yeah. that thing up, you had to start making decisions. <laughs> Do I really like this song anymore? Which one am I willing to get rid of to have this one on there? Yeah. And then I remember I got an iPod video and that was like, that was what really changed my life. That was the iPod that I got with all my dad's music on it. And so anyway, that's all to say that I bought Alive on iTunes. That was my first uh, contribution to being a Pearl Jam fan. Um, Since then I had listened to 10. I had listened to, I listened to verses once and that was about as far as I had gotten, you know, like obviously I continue to learn how important they were, you know, that they were part of the grunge movement. Um, but I kind of, guess like you, I never kind of moved past that. Mm-hmm. Although I would say that going into it, I, I knew more about them than you did. But that's just because of just through osmosis of all my other sources. Yeah, <laughs> But as far as listening, I'd say we probably listened and loved about the same amount.
1: Okay. So this is going to be interesting.
0: Yeah. This was definitely more of a, you know, I like several songs of theirs. I want to understand more. Mm-hmm. I know I this was a band I knew that if I invested into it, it was going to be worth it. I just didn't know what the, exactly that would look like.
1: Okay, this will be this will be good then.
0: Yeah. So, um so Pearl Jam, it's five guys and again, I would say for the most part it's been the same five guys. The only time that they've had some shuffling around is in the drummer position. But since 90 uh 8, they've had the same drummer. So, I mean, you know, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's, very, it's been very consistent.
1: 23 years, uh, yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah, um, uh, Eddie Vedder is the lead vocalist and um, you know he's, he's been the voice and the face of the band, but he is not the founding member.
1: Oh.
0: Um, we've, our founding members are bassist Jeff Emmett and guitarist, or one of the guitarists, Stone Gossard.
1: Yeah, one of don't they have like three? The,
0: well, Eddie sometimes plays guitar, that's right. but not that's always.
1: Right. There are five piece but Eddie plays some.
0: Yeah, um, and then you've got Mike McCready on guitar too. I believe it's uh, I believe McCready is the lead guitarist, but I don't think that that's exclusive. Like, I it's not like a Hammett situation where he will. Ninety-nine percent of the time, play the solo. Okay, but also past their first couple albums, solos kind of didn't become a a necessary thing.
1: Like they stopped doing them.
0: Not they they didn't feel like they had to do them. So there okay. would be good stretches without them. But there would there would still be some. But it wasn't like a you know oh we're a rock band we got to have a solo.
1: They're not limiting themselves. No, to needing a solo. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: So, because of that, I would say that the guitar work is fairly split between the two. Okay. But I, I believe on the early records, McCready did most of the soloing. Okay. And then um, we have um, our our longtime drummer now is Matt Cameron who. Was actually the drummer for Soundgarden.
1: Oh, that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, so if Soundgarden ever gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, which I just can't believe that they haven't yet, then Matt Cameron will be a two-time inductee because he played okay. on. He played on all the clock. He he's played on every Soundgarden. Uh, well, I wouldn't hold that to their first couple, but starting with definitely for sure with Bad Motorfinger on so he's played on all the songs that we talked about in our Soundgarden episode Wait. so when they broke so when they broke up in the mid-90s um, Eddie just like called him up and was like hey you want to be our drummer he was like yeah sure I don't have anything else to do right now so
1: that okay so then oh, I had a, mm, I had a thought and then it just disappeared sorry <laughs> <laughs> I'll figure it out, but because of that,
0: um, he he does not play on any of our six songs here. I just felt like I should throw that out that he is the long-standing Pearl drum Pearl Jam drumist. But drummist, gosh, drumist, whoa,
1: about?
0: drummer. <laughs> I'm a drummer, and I just said drummist. I feel so ashamed of myself. Um, oh my goodness! No, they uh, their first drummer. His name was. I have to. I have to pull it up because it's. He literally only played on the first record. Oh. Wow. Um, Dave Cruson. He didn't even stay in the band when the album was released.
1: Wow.
0: He had to. Uh, he had to go to rehab for alcohol, and the band said, "Don't bother coming back."
1: Mm.
0: Wow. And then. Um, uh. Dave Abruzzi, I'm I, I'm thinking I'm saying that right. Um, became the second drummer, and he played on Verses and Vitology, and then left after that due to personal differences. Mm-hmm. And then Matt Cameron came in after that, and he's just well. no, I think they had a third drummer, Jack Irons, who was the first. He was the first drummer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers before um, Chad Smith came in. Hmm. And he, pl- I think he played on No Code. And then after that, Matt Cameron came in. But the funny thing is, is that the very first demos that Pearl Jam ever recorded, Matt Cameron played on. Oh. So in a way, it, it kind of came full circle. The first guy that played on anything for Pearl Jam ended up becoming their last and longtime drummer. That's,
1: that's kind of cool okay so, serendipitous so you mentioned that he he uh, would be a two-time inductee if he was inducted into the hall of fame with soundgarden right yeah Pro, so pearl jam is in the hall of fame pearl jam is in the hall of fame okay
0: yeah they them and nirvana both got nominated their first year of eligibility and got in their first year of being nominated and no no other grunge bands have even been nominated once. So, well, first off, I mean, that's just a travesty. But second of all, each... nope, they've never been nominated. It's, it's it's mind-blowing to me, especially after Chris Cornell died. I figured that that'd be like, well, yeah, let's get him in. They missed an opportunity while he was alive. Better right or wrong here. They still haven't done it. Mm-hmm. Every, every year, I put that, like, at the top of my list of before nominations come out, going, oh, Soundgarden's going to get nominated, and then they'll get in. And then they never get nominated, and it's bizarre to me. But um, Pearl Jam, their first year of eligibility, they got nominated and got in. And then, and I'm pretty sure that they won the fan vote as well. Like, it was, like, one of the m- most obvious shoe ins But I think that that goes to show that even though there was a big four or big five, depending on who you talk to, the the clear kind of front runners as far as scope and influence were Nirvana and Pearl Jam. They were the ones that most visibly impacted the rock music landscape. Mm -hmm. I would say, even though Nirvana is the reason that everything changed. I feel like Pearl Jam is the one that you can trace the most influence on throughout the bands that came afterward. Like they they pretty much like set the standard for all 90s and 2000s rock and roll.
1: Yeah, like, I mean I would that's kind of why it sounds sort of sort of normal to us now. Yeah. And yet, and yet at the same time it's like very fresh because that's not something that was it's familiar and yet new it's a it's a weird way to describe like what it was new at that time right they were in uncharted waters it's like watching one of those old movies that you're like oh my gosh there's so many cliche moments in here and yet it's so good it's because that that's where those cliches came from is from those Mm -hmm. really old classic movies that's kind of how you know I guess Pearl Jam was, if you're listening to, or if you're familiar with that early 2000s rock, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, without Pearl Jam, there wouldn't be a Creed or a Nickelback or
1: Mm, all those
0: those bands that we kind of hate Mm -hmm. because they, they attempted to be what Pearl Jam was and yet they couldn't do it um in particular um, that that singing style we have to talk about Eddie Vedder's vocal approach and yes and, and maybe my favorite new phrase ever which is uh, hunger dunger dang because because you can go hunger dunger dang that's i came across that term and i just can't stop saying it it's it's the most beautiful Style of singing ever.
1: He's uh, he's got this this really just pure chest voice. Yeah, and really prominent and boomy, and yet you can't tell what he's singing.
0: Oh no, it makes his lyrics just about incomprehensible, which made it really fun to research the songs and figure out what they're about. Because I was like, I've listened to these songs a million times, and I can only pick out like a few words here and there. Like, yes. when I'm when I'm singing along the Evenfall, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, me too. Like that's that's the only thing I can tell that's happening. But yet, you can tell that it was natural for him, that that was just his natural singing voice. And yet, boy, is that one of the most copied singing styles ever. Really? I mean, the, the late 90s and early 2000s, I mean, just, I mean, Creed is, is that on steroids. Like, it's just that, that, and I mean, and honestly, it's, you know, what the, what the near cousin to that is, is James Hetfield. Just, Mm -hmm. if you put, if you put a rasp on Eddie Vedder's vocals, you pretty much have the Black Album. It's 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 a very close relationship between yeah and yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean ooh, not, I don't
0: know not eighties Hetfield, but once you get the nineties Hetfield, like the it's a very, very oh my gosh, fine right. line between the two. You're actually right though. Just listen to listen to Mama said. Like you could you could uh be mistaken that Eddie Vedder sung that.
1: There's a lot of stuff off a of Reload that sounds very – yeah, I think – okay, I'm seeing it now. I'm
0: seeing and it just, now. And just the inflections and the, and the pronunciations. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but I mean just – oh, there's so many – like there was just so many songs and bands that tried to copy the Pearl Jam. Because, I mean, again, by the time you get to the late 90s, they were the – they were one of the big rock bands that was still standing from that time period. And, you know, they were definitely writing sh- the blueprint for better or for worse. Cause again, I say though, you know, what they were doing was good, but there was a lot of people just like, yeah, I could do that too. And then it was more pure imitation without the soul, because even though there are lots of uh, better clones out there, there's only one Eddie Vedder, and only he could, um, seeing in a, in that way and still communicate the brutal emotion and the honesty of what he was portraying in his lyrics.
1: Yeah, that, that is true. But I mean, he's got a great, he's got a great backing band as well. Yes, he
0: does. Yes, he does. Um, So let's talk about how Pearl Jam came to be. Yeah. Because they were actually, um, as far as the big four are concerned, they were the last to the party. Yeah.
1: Their first release is 91. uh Uh-huh. So the
0: other... Now, they did beat Stone Temple Pilots, so they're not the the last of the big five, but they are the last of the big four because Soundgarden was the earliest. Their first album was in, like, 87 or 88. And then Nirvana... Got their first one out in '89. Uh, Alice in Chains did their debut in '90, and then it was after grunge exploded that Ten came out because it was, it was. Well, no, I think it might have come out like two weeks before. Never mind. But it took an entire year for it to, uh, uh for it to explode. Like it came out in like September of '91. And then it got to number two on the album charts in like November of '92. So it was a it was a slow, steady climb. Wow! About a year's worth of of just slowly getting bigger. But man, I mean, getting up to number two on the album charts—I mean, that's that is
1: no small. Yeah, for feat. your first release, and I mean, like, how old were they?
0: Uh, they were fairly young. I
1: would say they're mid twenties. Wow. So what are we Pearl
0: doing? G- yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, Pearl Jam was formed from the ashes of a, of a band called Mother Love Bone, which, which has a, a cult status in the grunge movement in of itself. They only have one record. And the reason for that is because their um, their frontman, Andrew Wood, died of a heroin overdose. That's he grunge it'll get. Yeah, well, he was the first casualty. He's whenever people look at all of the, all of the, the front man that of grunge that died to drug related uh, causes, Andrew Wood is the first. Wow. He's the he's the Brian Jones of the Twenty Seven Club, kind of the one that started the whole thing. I guess Robert Johnson would technically be, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. And he died, like, like I think like a month before the first record even came out. So when people listened to that, he was already dead.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so Jeff Emmett and Stone Gossard were members of that band. Mm-hmm. And so when, obviously, he died and the album came out, they're just like, well, we're not going to make another one. We can't just go get another singer. So they they kind of got together together. Well, no, so, they, so Stone met up with Mike McCready and was like, hey, and he phoned Jeff and was like, hey, I've met this other guitarist. We're coming up with some cool stuff. Let's put something new together. And so that's what became Pearl Jam. And so them three and then Matt Cameron, their future drummer, put together a demo of 10 songs and started... Sh- uh shopping it out to potential drummers and singers and that's when eddie vetter who actually was not a seattle resident he lived in san diego he got a hold of it and all of these songs were instrumental and pretty much most of 10 is in those demos wow and so that's why that album sounds so different is because they were they were written with no vocals They were, it was a band written by instrumentalists. And so, what Mm. Eddie did was he took those demos and recorded on top of them his original vocals and lyrics and sent it back to them. And they were so impressed with what he did that they flew him up and did one audition with him and said, Yeah, you're our guy. Wow. And then, stars aligned. And then, in one week, put together 10. Wow, I'm and incredible. then and then same with their first drummer that he just he got a hold of the demo and auditioned and so that was how Pearl Jam came together.
1: Wow. So so why did why did uh, uh, Mike is that his name Mike McCree? Yeah, why'd he leave? He didn't. He's still in the band, but he did. Leave after ten, didn't he? Like, or he, or he, did leave after those demos, right? Sorry, not uh, drummer. Oh, you, uh, drummer,
0: because of uh, alcohol issues.
1: But didn't he come back? No. I'm confused. Okay, let me get let me get the chronology here. Okay, their first drummer got they yes. got rid of them because of alcohol issues, and then they I found. Mean-
0: and then they found uh, Dave Abruzzi. So, no, Matt Cameron didn't play on the actual 10 sessions. He was just helping them out with the demos because he was a friend of the band. But all those Seattle groups were very tight-knit. They all knew each other. They were rooting for each other. Um, and just Matt Cameron was just like, hey, I'm with Soundgarden. Things are really taking off. I'm going to help you guys out, but I can't
1: be your drummer. Oh, okay. And so Start that's – that's, hope he was the guy yeah real guy so
0: again in a weird way he technically was their first drummer because he did play drums on the first things that pearl jam ever made Mm -hmm. but he didn't do that as an official member of the band he was just almost there like a session player
1: okay the the confusion is slowly leaving us
0: now there is another grunge band that we have to talk about that also only ever made one album Called temple of the dog well and temple of the dog was recorded and released before uh 10 came out but it's pretty much the like the trial run for pearl jam because it's it's jeff amet stone gossard um matt cameron plays drums on it and eddie vetter sings along with chris cornell so it's a double vocal so it's, it's pretty much like it wasn't at the time, but um, it was it was a grunge supergroup record. <laughs> and the whole the whole point of the record is that it was a tribute to Andrew Wood. And so that was the first time that they really got to record and and be in a band experience with Eddie. And it's just it's funny because Matt Cameron played drums on it and he would become the permanent drummer. Mm-hmm. But then also it's it's a very interesting record to listen to. It's it's so interesting to hear Eddie and Chris's vocals together.
1: That might be a fun listen.
0: It is fun. It's 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 a widely celebrated record. They even before Chris died, one of the last things he did was that he did a Temple of the Dog tour. Wow. And so, and that was something that had they had never done before because it was just meant to be this one-off project. And of course, when they made it, you know, grunge was still kind of bubbling under the surface. I want to say it was like an early '91 release.
1: It 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 sounds to me like the philosophy of grunge was getting together and just making music. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily like let's try to make it big. But...
0: Well, I mean, to a certain extent, but nobody, I don't care who you are, no one thought that grunge was going to become the phenomenon that it was. Really, in all honesty, the last great rock and roll phenomenon.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No no other rock movement has shaken the foundations of the entire music landscape like
1: uh like grunge did. Right. I mean and, the 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 grunge the grunge uh demigods, so to speak, are household names, yeah, and that's not the case with you know what we would consider some of the best musicians in in some of our favorite bands
0: man you can I cannot even create a definitive list of the number of bands that Nirvana killed <laughs> pretty much yeah like you can you can pretty much count every hair metal band um every metal band, really every metal band in general that was already big at that time because that when that record came out, it was the entire focus shifted to um, like earthier, more real topics. And you know, it was like you could you could sense that Judas priest and Iron Maiden were trying to figure out like where do we fit in this. Um, these, these fan more fantastical, brighter songs are not going to really work. Um, it was, and then just every alternative group that wasn't, that was already kind of big at that time really had a struggle there. And it was just like anything that was like bright eighties, like pop also changed overnight with grunge coming in because even all the pop stuff at that time started to, Started to take a more stripped down uh, approach. I mean, the rise of hip hop pretty much happened at about the same time. You had the Black Album that pretty much changed the entire course of metal up at that point. It was just, it was a perfect storm of just 1991 was like, was the first year of the 90s musically.
1: But like Pearl Jam didn't, they didn't cause that, they rode that wave. No, and really,
0: they are the most different sounding of all the grunge groups. Yeah, they have a bit more of a traditional classic rock feel to them. A little bit more optimism,
1: as well. Well,
0: <laughs> not not really at all. When well, you're lyrics, sonically,
1: but musically, right? I mean, yeah. You listen to you listen to Alice in Chains. You listen to Dirt that Mm -hmm. album sounds just oppressive and yeah it it really you get a little insane listening to that yeah and And, nirvana is just is
0: just pure in your face is even though there's even though there's pop hooks underneath it it's it's got such a grubby exterior on top of it Really dark.
1: Yeah. And, and and
0: then you've got Soundgarden that's just that's just freaking Soundgarden. <laughs>
1: it's it's pretty heavy, yeah. I mean but this stuff not to say it's it's not heavy or there's not any earthy, very real things to talk about, but if you and I think maybe Eddie's vocal style helps with this, if you don't listen to the lyrics, right? It sounds really happy. Uh yeah, Pearl Jam. Let's jam out to some music, guys. Yeah, rap, it's, you know? it's,
0: they definitely are a bit apart from them. And the fact that they are a bit more traditional songwriting wise, but again, that's, that's what I thought. And then as I really got into music and was exploring, I was just like, okay, I, I see now more why grunge was their genre. Cause I remember I was just like, I, I struggle with the, is Pearl Jam really even grunge? Because they're so different from the other big four, and just from in general, all of the all of the grunge bands around them. You know, they never really participated in the gr- in the drug culture like the other groups did. Um, they they didn't quite as much look the part. I mean, Eddie Vedder was was the most. Um, Probably the most handsome of the of the grunge frontmen, although Chris Cornell was a uh, was kind of a a god in his own right with the long hair and the, this this look of mysterious mm-hmm. enigma to him. But Vetter kind of almost looked like a traditional, like classic frontman. Yeah, and. And yeah, just their their music wasn't as complex or as dirty or as as depressing as some of the other grunge groups were, and so they definitely set themselves out as more of a. They're more just like a straightforward rock group with um, with grunge overtones, but. Then I've really realized that the grunge really comes out in their in their lyrics because I would say probably besides Kurt himself, no one did better lyrics in the grunge scene than Eddie Vedder did. And I mean, and I would say on a technical level, Eddie's are better. It's just that Kurt wrote some of the just the most sheer iconic lines of all time.
1: Somehow and
0: it was <laughs> it was almost his 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 lack of skill made him so unique that he could say the exact same thing in the strangest way that somehow worked where Eddie really kind of is one of like more from the classic vein of rock poets. Like I got, I get a very strong Springsteen vibe from him.
1: Ooh.
0: He's, he's cut from the same cloth.
1: I mean, one of our songs is a Bob Dylan cover, isn't it? Nope. Oh, I didn't. What know song? That. What song are were you thinking? I thought it? wasn't uh, a Yellow Ledbetter a cover? Nope. That is a that, that is a a
0: PJ original.
1: That, that's very interesting. I've been given false information by YouTube comments. Oh boy. Okay. Just gotta check your facts then, I guess. Okay, that's interesting.
0: So, um, but yeah, but I mean. You know, you can tell that all of the artists that come that fit in this vein all owe their skills to Dylan. Bob Dylan was the originator for sure of that movement. Mm-hmm. But and I I promise someday we'll do a Bob Dylan episode. That's just that's so intimidating that I don't even know where I would start with that. <laughs> yeah, you, that does You wanna talk fun. you wanna talk about someone that's got one of the largest discographies ever. <laughs> It would, be, it would be very similar to when I tried to do Johnny Cash. And it was just the, the sheer volume was just enough to make me go, do I really want to do this?
1: We can do like a first year episode just to keep it a little...
0: <laughs> I have a feeling I know what I would do, but, you know, again, it'll just be whenever I decide to do it. Yep. But, yeah, just he... Eddie is a, is a real poet. And he... He fits with Springsteen in the fact that he really champions the common person. He really – he's a storyteller, which is one of the other things that sets them apart from the other uh, the other grunge writers is that they're not – they don't really do story songs that much. It's more about, like, these are my inward feelings. It's all conceptual, is, yeah. Yeah, and more inward, where he, even though Eddie puts a lot of his own experiences and emotions into it, he does it through telling stories. Yeah. He's a storyteller first and foremost. And that's that's something that really is kind of rare in in Grunge.
1: Yeah, certainly certainly our third song is very, very story driven. Oh yeah. And well they really all are. It it's it's poetic type of story as well it's not like i'm going to say everything in chronological order almost kind of like how how stargazer plays out yeah where it's like now as as you're getting more information from the verses the choruses start to make more sense and it's kind of it's it's really a double edged sword the way his vocals are because it's It lends itself to that very optimistic feeling because you're it's kind of like ignorance is bliss. But at the same time, the casual listener doesn't get to experience the the poetry underlying it. But when you dig deeper, you do get that that little reward, which is something. I feel like you feel
0: the same way about Springsteen. When you listen to him, it is very difficult to decipher the words themselves. But the diehards are gonna find them.
1: That's true. And it's rewarding it's it's a real find Mm -hmm. um and so yeah that's that's always really good i this is a little off topic but i have this has been in the back of my head for this entire episode and i don't know why this is but back when i like was really really big into rush and people would be like oh what's your favorite band i'd say rush they would usually say Ah, oh, you must like Pearl Jam then. And I never understood that. I don't I think that's just like maybe I had two or three people say that to me and for no reason. I don't know if there like is any connection or not.
0: I have no idea why they would say that. Okay. <laughs> they almost they almost sense. seem complete opposites. I guess yeah. I guess maybe there's, there's a similar approach to lyrics, but not even really that much.
1: Yeah, I never I never understood that. But, I mean, I do like... Like, if you're going to yeah. compare Rush to
0: a grunge band, I feel like Soundgarden would be a bit... Just because they were the most technically complex of the grunge groups. Like, most of their songs are in an on-time signature. But, like, Pearl Jam would be the last one that I would think. I would go to Nirvana before Pearl Jam.
1: Yeah. Because, I mean, you have have the drumming genius of of Dave Grohl.
0: Yeah, who is a outspoken Rush fan and Neil Peart fan. I mean, him and Taylor Hawkins by themselves made a cover of the overture to 2112 and it's freaking awesome.
1: Ooh, that's this is good to know.
0: Yeah, go check it out sometime. Almost. It's not it's just the overture so they they cut out before the end the meek shall inherit the earth. But and it's and it's a, and it's and it's a really wild interpretation of it. It's not a cover, it's not like a by the numbers cover. Like they they definitely restructure it and 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 give it a new um, inspiration It's pretty cool.
1: Oh, that is; those
0: are always fun. But yeah, I I don't unless they're like being sarcastic, like like trying to be funny, like saying what's the complete opposite of Rachel Pearl Jam. Yeah, and again, that that's not a bad thing. It's just it's I, not, I, they're I, both great. Yeah. I don't I don't see what they're going for there. It could be that they. Are wrong about something, mm-hmm. maybe maybe their ignorance is showing through.
1: Maybe, but I mean, if we're going to talk about the name Pearl Jam, I definitely think that is that is very correct because we talked about I think uh, back on our Iron Maiden episode how I talked about Iron Maiden was closer to a jam band than a technical band. Uh huh. I mean, uh, Soundgarden is very technical, right? Uh, Rush is very technical. Um, all all their stuff is mixed for technicality um, but you listen to Pearl Jam they're like the epitome of jam it's like yes there's this part of the song there's this part of the song we have some structure we know our parts but if you listen with headphones you can pick out like oh there's a little guitar lick that was put in there just kind of for it sounds like they're just having fun with the song and I like that like you don't you don't see that a lot in music because everything tends to be very very structured on a studio record because you want everything to be just perfect but they Mm -hmm. let in i don't want to say imperfections because they're not imperfections they're great they're exactly what they need to be but they let in those small deviations from the riff or you know from whatever is supposed to be played by the guitar or bass or the little drum fill that's slightly off the snare hit that's slightly off and not even on the right beat or whatever. And it, it, it makes it sound like a garage band. That's good. That's mic'd up. Good. Um, that you're like in a a performance by this local band that is just top notch and is about to explode on the world stage, which is really what was going to happen.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so
1: maybe that's part of it, but it's just, it's, it's fun the musicians are having fun. Yeah. And that comes across so well mm-hmm. on at least 10. And some of the other well, songs as well. Here's the thing, and this is this might shock you, 10 is
0: the most unimprovisational record that they ever made. Oh! Because yeah. of the fact, because of the nature of the way it was made, I mean, pretty much, uh, like, McCready and Gossard, like, pretty much brought to the those demos, pretty much completed songs, and Eddie really the only thing he got to contribute was the the vocals and the lyrics because he he was just given demos it was just like just put something on top of it it's already done just just do something to it, and um, once they once they start with their second record they completely ditched the idea and and wrote everything out of jam sessions. That's why 10 is such a different sounding, not just sonically, but also so different from all their other albums is because it was the only album that was made that way from more of a like putting stuff together, compositional arrangement. It's why it's more riff based and uh, there's a bit more of a, a definitive, you know, these are the sections of the song. Where after that, the the consensus was we're going to get in the room together and just feel where it needs to go.
1: So, why did they change it? I mean, obviously, 10 was very successful, and it has been their most successful as time went on. So, why change the formula if it works? So,
0: um, this will get me into my next point, which is what happened after 10. Okay. So, 10 obviously blew up way bigger than they ever dreamed it would be. And... Next to Kurt Cobain, Eddie Vedder was kind of proclaimed as like the the big star of the grunge movement. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean that Jeremy video like really was kind of like their defining moment. Right. That it won it won the MTV Video of the Year that year, and like that was that's like that's like their most iconic representation. That's what people I feel like usually think of when they think of Pearl Jam. Is that video is is one of the iconic moments of rock in the 90s. And watching it back, I had seen it before, but hadn't really paid attention to it. And watching it, I was just like, this is a magnetic, like, alluring video. And I can see why this video helped push them to the top level. MTV ate that video up. And... So when 10 got super huge, the pressure was so big on them to recreate that. And the band really collectively from that point on said that we will never try and make 10 again. That we are not going to ever try and intentionally go for being a superstar group. Really, they rebelled against everything that was expected of them.
1: That's kind of rock and roll.
0: For the for the second record, they didn't make a single music video. They didn't release any singles. They didn't even really promote the album that much. They just wanted the album to just speak for itself.
1: And yeah, with the llama on the front or whatever. <laughs> yeah,
0: whatever animal that is. Um, and you know what? It Because at that time, it broke the record for... Um, biggest first week sales. It sold almost a million copies in its first week by itself.
1: Oh my lord.
0: And it was a record that it held for five years.
1: Uh,
0: and do you know what was second place? Their next record, Vitality.
1: <laughs> okay, that's kind of funny.
0: Yeah, so... Um, it stayed at like five weeks at number one on the album charts. Like it was, it worked and they, they very much pushed against like people saying you should make another 10 and, you know, we, you should, you should write these kinds of songs. They were like, no, that's not what we want to do. They, as time has gone on, they've actually said that 10 is probably their least favorite record. Wow they don't like how it was written they don't like how it sounds they feel like it's too produced, that it's too perfect sounding that they prefer the more raw, direct kind of auteur more difficult to listen to approach huh and the critics the interesting thing is that the critics usually tend to agree with them but like they they're just like but we also understand that 10 is the is the record that the fans love the most. And so we'll never stop playing it because it's what the fans love but at the same time that's the record that we least look forward to going back and listening to.
1: Mm. I guess they play live a lot too so they must Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. I mean those are kind of a lot of those songs on that album are kind of like the the ones that like, if they don't play it live, they're going to get crap. The audience isn't going to be happy.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand that. Yeah. But that kind of, that's that's kind of like a blessing and a curse. That they have one of the greatest, one of the greatest albums of all time. One of the most successful careers jumpstarted off of this debut Right. And they definitely definitely
0: one of the I would say top 10 great rock records of the 90s.
1: Yeah. I mean, these melodies are household melodies. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. what was it? Tim Hawkins, the comedian or whatever. (laughs) I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. Yeah. Yes. You know, that video where he did like old rock classics and stuff and, like, turn them into advertisements or something. I can't yep. remember what he did for Even Flow, but that's the first time I, I heard that song.
0: Yeah, same. That's the same. Because when I heard it on rock on guitar here, through, I was just like, oh, that's that song. And I that remember was the first, it. That was the first time I heard Welcome to the Jungle. Welcome to McDonald's. Yeah.
1: Burgers and fries. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, man. What a so, flashback. But it's like I heard that, and I never heard it before. And I remembered that maybe, like, 10 seconds or something in my head for however many, eight or nine years or whatever, until I heard even flow for the first time. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I was just listening on the radio. I'm like, oh my goodness, I know this song. Where do I know this song? And then it hit me. I'm like, I'm Hawkins. I mean, <laughs> for good music. And then I just played the crap out of that for a little while before discovering 10, you know, about eight or nine months later but um i was i wasn't big into listening albums listening to albums at that point but it was just it was so weird that that melody is so well known that you can have like a comedian spoof it and some you know kid remembers it for years it's just it's good melody right and then they don't even like that that's just so weird to me i don't know now maybe may, i've never been in that situation so maybe if i was in that situation where i didn't like my own like music you know I who does you more. know who
0: does like it is matt cameron but i think also because he didn't actually make it yeah he he says that he thinks that even flow is the
1: quintessential pearl jam song i would agree i would agree even though Alive has more Spotify listens somehow, it's just you gotta you gotta give it to even flow for just having the whole package. You got the the real rock, you got the the Oh man, it's just it's just the whole package. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about that later.
0: Yeah. So um see so yeah, how Pearl Jam went very opposite of and intentionally went to try and go opposite of mainstream and also explained some of the worst songs on our After Hours segment or what they are was that it was part of their running away from fame and, and um, like it was something that they kind of struggled with a little bit like Eddie in particular was just like he hated the fact that he became such an icon and he did kind of every almost in a way, everything he could to kind of like get people to stop. But then he just, he is like, he couldn't help, but just write great songs. (laughs) And so, but I think they also saw what fame was doing to uh, grunge groups. And then especially when Kurt Cobain, Uh, killed himself in 94 that was kind of like a big moment because then everyone turned to Eddie and was just like okay you're gonna be the new Kurt and it was just like no there's not there shouldn't be another Kurt yeah this whole thing happened was because he couldn't handle the fame and he's like I do not want to go down that road I do not want to be someone that's constantly chasing my previous success and then become a shell of a man because of it and you know what i believe it's that principle that is what has what been what kept him alive i mean he he sure did sing it and alive he is still alive he is the last surviving grunge frontman
1: yeah yeah unfortunately
0: yes i mean it's it's very sad and i wish it wasn't so but I think I think that that philosophy it it saved their lives because it it first off gave them longevity because of the fact that they they got so big that as long as they didn't like really as long as they didn't either sell out or completely fizzle out creatively they could survive indefinitely mm-hmm. because I mean you could literally just play a concert from the songs with 10 and you know, it would be a success. They have an all time great record. And if they had continued trying to chase that, they probably would have burnt out. Hmm. And so the fact that they kind of immediately on the second record settled into, we're going to make albums our own way and they're not going to be for anyone's, you know, I don't want to say anyone's enjoying but, like, they're not going to make it for anyone's expectation of, it, it has to sound like this. No, we're going to make the one that we want to make, and we're going to just hope that the fans accept it. But we're but, not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, try and become the biggest band in the world.
1: Would you not say that there's a little bit of, I don't want to say hypocrisy, I don't. I can't find the right word, but if you're if you're intentionally running from expectations then aren't you still being ruled by the expectations no
0: they're just not they're not going to play the game they're playing their own game hmm okay they're they're just they're doing they're Or, I should say, they're playing the same game, but they're playing by their own rules. They switch the rules and they're just like, hey, and they really showed bands you don't have to be big MTV stars. You don't have to have hit singles. You don't, although they, you know, they still did, but they weren't trying to go for that. In fact, uh, one of the songs we're going to talk about um, almost didn't even get put on a record because Eddie Vedder got scared by the producer saying man it sounds like you wrote a hit song and he was just like oh no 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 i don't want to write a hit song it's not going on the album and he had to be strong armed to actually put it on the record
1: wow that i mean
0: you you have to imagine though especially with everything that happened in the grudge scene how can you not be a little afraid of of becoming a huge pop culture sensation that's a good point. Because again, with ten, they had no idea that that was going to turn into what it turned into. They just thought that they were making a great, fun rock record. They weren't trying to make the biggest album in the world. Yeah, they they just they got really lucky with the timing.
1: Man, I guess I mean, you got to be careful with what you wish for.
0: Yeah. yeah, they released the right record at the right time and and i I really do believe that they did a great job of of not letting the fame get to them because the, all the interviews I've seen with them is just like they they really did seem like they turned out to just be like normal guys.
1: That's good that is good and actually
0: very good guys. I mean, you want to talk about some of the bands that are the most active and and doing good charities and and activism like. You know, they practice what they preach.
1: That you gotta like. Mm-hmm.
0: That you gotta so, like. I think that that gives us enough context, unless there was any other burning questions that you had.
1: I, I have some questions about the songs,
0: but we'll get to that. Okay, so... At this point, we'll go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the six Pearl Jam songs we have selected for this episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We have been talking about Pearl Jam and their big rise to fame and maybe their run from fame, depending on your perspective. And, well, maybe not depending on your perspective, but it's now time to talk about the songs. To add a little bit more context and information about what we've been talking about, um, these songs will serve as a great introduction to the band, and you'll definitely want to listen to them In this order even if you've heard every single one of them before it'll provide a great listening experience we try to tailor it that way or should say lucas tries to tailor it that way every single episode so you'll definitely want to check that out there's a link in the description to a spotify playlist that has not only these songs but all of the songs from all of the other episodes so if you see any other songs on there that you're a little bit interested in we have an episode specifically about that so you're definitely going to want to check that out um and now, we should start with the only place you really can start, which is, of course, even flow.
0: You know, it wasn't as obvious to me.
1: Whoa! okay.
0: I Because, I mean, if, if you started with a live, that would have been a, a banging way to start.
1: That's true,
0: too. Just coming in with those big with that big guitar. But then I was just like, oh, but to not do even flow right at the beginning would just be, would be a travesty.
1: It would just be a crime because that's just everyone's kind of first introduction. Well, maybe not, maybe not, but most people, this is their first introduction and it really like tells you exactly what you're going to hear for the next 30 minutes or so.
0: You know, yeah, just,
1: just, riffage rock and guitar the i can't understand what you're saying vocals it's got everything (laughs) you know yeah i mean yeah this
0: this song is i would say um this is one of the most obvious uh candidates for showing that like their sound is so much rooted in classic rock yeah, like you could you could totally see that being like an Aerosmith song
1: Ooh, I mean
0: I would say yeah. it's Eddie Vedder's vocals in particular that that make it a Pearl Jam song but like instrumentally like this could have been like Guns N' Roses or just like that's just like a that's just like a classic hard rock guitar riff Bow, is... ba-da-dum, ba-da-dum, ba-da-dum. I that mean that's yeah that it's, was that was the first thing that I thought of was just like I I could I could hear Slash playing that riff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it and, almost
0: has a bit of a Mr. Brownstone feel to it.
1: Um yeah. No, I mean when you said Aerosmith, I think you like you hit the nail right on the head. And G even even better. Because it's 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 hard rock at the core. Mm-hmm and you have like little moments where the guitar is coming in and like playing this one little thing or uh, there's like that part in the chorus where there's like a little you know it's like you don't you don't normally hear that kind of thing in other grunge mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the other grunge i don't want to say it's clinical or technical but it's very um uh this is the part you know We're gonna play this chord and then this chord. It doesn't give
0: its way to
1: subtleties, right? It doesn't give its way to. to, to, I'm gonna add this little thing in here and stuff, and that um, everything after the solo section as well is not something you're gonna hear from another grunge band as much, because it's 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 almost like. We're going to break it down. Let's get a little quieter. Ooh, We're going to all get towards the floor and then jump when the chorus comes back in kind of thing. It's like you don't get that with Nirvana. It's just they're having so much fun with the music. Yeah. I love it. Anyway, (laughs) I could could go on and on about the little subtleties of of this song, but I don't know the meaning. So you're going to have to fill everybody in yeah i mm-hmm. yeah i mean if you don't if you don't look up these songs
0: on your own, then you're not gonna really i mean I feel like with Jeremy, you probably can a little bit mm-hmm. but um even for I had no idea what this song was about, uh it's about a homeless man oh and so i'm gonna i'm ac- i'm gonna actually read what the lyrics actually say. So that way we can start to finally decipher everything that we've just been mumbling for the last 30 years. (laughs) That first line, freezing, rests his head on a pillow made of concrete. Maybe he'll he'll see a little better set of days. Yeah. Oh, handout, faces that he sees time again ain't that familiar. Mm-hmm. I even, I even pronounce that a little like he does. <laughs> um, so that's, that's what the song is about. It's just about, it's the portrait of a homeless man kind of just showing what his life is like. Understands the weather of winters on its way. Mm. And pretty much just kind of showing the world that the life of a homeless man is not a good, and that's why you have that, that weird, uh, moment in the middle after that first guitar solo where you've got the, hey, man, you got a dollar, come on, spare some table. God bless you, man, God bless you. Like, have you ever noticed that kind of like, in the background, that little spoken word section?
1: I thought they were just talking in the studio and left it in.
0: No, it's, it's, it's pretty much like a guy like panhandling. Now, I don't understand really what the phrase even flow means. But pretty much the whole idea being uh, that he is searching for an opportunity. The chorus says, even flow, thoughts arrive like butterflies. Oh, he don't know, so he chases them away. Oh, someday yet he'll begin his life again. Whispering hands gently lead him away. Hmm. What? So... So the it's definitely like the uh the the verses are very um they're very descriptive and very much like just straight up describing like what his life is like, but then the chorus is taking a very poetic abstract approach to the topic.
1: That that's classic rock. Mm-hmm. Man, this is you have been providing a good defense on their roots in classic rock so far. Yeah. Okay. I'm, so I th- I'm having I think trouble you, figuring out the abstractness of the chorus, but maybe I'm just not a poetic thinker.
0: I mean, I'm not a poetic thinker either, <laughs> but I, I just I think that it's a, it's a flowery way to just say that, you know, he, he might be crazy um he you know he might be a little bit mentally unstable and that's the reason why he's homeless but maybe there's hope that he'll you know get his life back together and that he'll get a second
1: chance ah that is nice so this this is of course not them just saying something and and doing another but i guess they are philanthropic as well because they, I,
0: th- I believe that they're trying to uh I believe they're trying to to create sympathy for this for this character to to make you realize that you know his life sucks and that he if he had the chance he would try and make a better life for himself
1: hmm. I I would I would assume anyone would Well, I mean, you know, there there are some that are,
0: you know, you you give them money and help them out, and they'll they'll just turn around and go back to where they were.
1: That's true. Well, that that sparks other philosophical yeah, conversations
0: for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. So um, this was the second single from the record, and um, this was this was kind of part of when they were on that that steady incline of popularity because live was the first single and then they got a little bit bigger with even flow and then Jeremy was the third single and that was kind of the one that pushed them over the top okay and this is the song that they have played live more than any other song that makes sense
1: because it's like the coolest in my opinion anyway
0: <laughs> this was also the song that um, that was the hardest for them to nail in the studio. They, um, for pretty much the whole record, they were able to do all the songs in just like a couple takes. But this song took like 50 takes. Uh, mainly mainly because drummer Dave Cruson was having trouble keeping the tempo
1: steady. He's having trouble keeping the uh, tempo even. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I I thought you were gonna say because of the guitar, because this riff sounds so easy, but you just can't get it to sound right. You know what I mean? Like You gotta have the feeling. You gotta have the feeling, you gotta have the tone, you gotta have the the bass behind you for sure. And those drums oh, yeah. really do bring it alive. That's something that's so just like it's very busy. It's interesting about like that that 90s early 2000s rock is the drums like the weird drum beats is what makes the music more uh three-dimensional uh-huh it's uh, i don't know it's just it's not it's not cookie cutter beats maybe it's a quote-unquote cookie cutter guitar riff but it's still super hard to to nail but it's that really just interesting Philosophy of drumming that I don't understand because I don't listen to this side of music as much, that just kind of turns it into a whole nother beast and is really just just fun to rock out to, you know. I can't help but try to sing the chorus to this and, you know, you have to to put that body and,
0: yeah. And you have to sing it with Hunger Dunger Dang. Yeah, yeah, you really do. Yeah, yeah it's just if you try and sing any of these songs with a normal voice it it feels almost like wrong
1: yeah well I mean no one but Eddie can pull this one off no it's just no one can which is which is kind of sad but also really kind of cool that it's like this is this is definitely definitively definitely definitively oh boy this is them and that's why that's why i think this was the pick for the first song because it lays it all out and it is just also it's just a great song it's got a really awesome intro that dare i never understood why they didn't put this at the front of the record like listening through it once is a great song I mean. Yeah, it is. It is awesome. And it's got some really great riffs in there. And the chorus is just spot on. And oh my goodness. But opening with that, boom, boom, like there's just, there's nothing better. I guess it worked for them because here we are talking about them, so what do I know? Uh, But yeah. Anyway. We could write a Whole dissertation about the ins and outs of even flow um, and we've already been talking about it for gosh like fifteen minutes or something let's move on to the rest of this set before we get too carried away. We're going on to verses now, which is the which is I guess one of the many albums I've never even delved into it's um, the immediate follow up yeah the immediate follow up so that goes to show you where my uh uh initial um, knowledge ended but we're going to rear view mirror all one word which is mm-hmm. so what are what is the uh what is the philosophy behind this song lyrically musically
0: so we're right? going to go into a um a subject that is going to come up three different times in this set which oh. is the issues that eddie better has with his stepfather Okay. So so stepdaddy issues. Okay. Um, it was it was quite surprising to find how much of their catalog is devoted to him, and it's not good. Yeah. So um, pretty much the whole point of this song is about escaping from a bad situation, about the desire to be free, and about looking what's in your rearview mirror as you drive. But. As you drive away, but also about how the rear view mirror helps you to see more clearly what you're leaving behind. Yeah. So I mean that 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 the big hook of this song is saw things so much clearer once you were in my rear view mirror.
1: hmm Yeah, I, I kind of got the feeling that there was like some sort of oppressive figure in this song.
0: Mm-hmm
1: and if I had to guess I would have thought there was like an abusive parent type guardian type figure
0: yeah I mean the first verse I took a drive today time to emancipate I guess it was the beatings made me wise but I'm not about to give thanks or apologize
1: yeah that kind of cued me into hmm maybe this is and I didn't know if it was a telling a story or telling it from his own experience i guess we know now yeah Uh, but at least it's not the made of concrete type of thing Mm -hmm. Uh, so i guess he's slowing down and letting letting the lyrics speak for themselves in this one
0: yeah um yeah i mean just yeah let's look let's look at the chorus um head at your feet fool to your crown fist on my plate swallowed it down Enmity gauged, united by fear, tried to endure what I could not forgive. Wow. So it's definitely, you know, it is a run, run from something that is holding you down. And Mm -hmm. uh, Eddie had said that he felt that the, because the music came together first um although now that he was a full member of the band he had a lot more say in the arrangement and kind of how and what it was is that as the song started to come together and he would put vocals he would kind of help to guide the band like the band would say like oh whenever he started to sing more intensely that's kind of when we felt like we needed to change musically what we were doing Mm -hmm. where he didn't get to be in the arrangement process like that on the first record because pretty much everything was already done he just had to put lyrics and vocals on top of a finished product mm-hmm. so um you know he said that he got the inspiration for this when the song was thrown together and he just felt like it had this driving rhythm like you were in a car just s- speeding away
1: yeah that that whole um uh, like final section when he like screams rear view mirror you get mm-hmm. the uh, you get that image of like Jesse driving away from the from the yeah. compound at the end of, of Breaking Bad. Uh-huh. And it's just like that image of just like he's finally out. And like what's in his rear view mirror is what was holding him from literal freedom. And so like the singer of the song has that, that or the singer of the song, the protagonist of the vocals of the what am I trying to say? Eddie, right? conveys that um, emotion really well. So I don't know why I tried to use such like (laughs) descriptive terms to describe Eddie, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it just, it gets more intense, more intense in in a freeing way.
0: Yeah. It's very dangerous
1: freedom, but very cathartic. Yeah. Yeah. Very cathartic. So we already have a cathartic moment, uh, two songs in. Yeah. So, this is gonna this is gonna be a pretty interesting set. Uh, whoa, I'm just not having a good night tonight. Uh, a pretty interesting set.
0: Um, well, at least you didn't of,
1: say drumist. A
0: drumist.
1: <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah. you got that
0: going for you.
1: Gu- guitarer, Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of cathartic moments at the end of Pearl Jam songs, is what I remember from all of my mm-hmm. listening
0: of them. Yeah, they, I mean that's that's one of their characteristics is just it's a it's an
1: outpouring of raw emotion. They do that linear song structure so well. Yes, they do. Yeah. And and you're right, they they use it for that that revelation of internal emotion um really, really well. And this yeah. is this is an example that I just wasn't familiar with. And so I, I really liked the experience of of- I
0: will <laughs> I will say verses I think is is fairly close to uh to 10 in quality it's just that it's not immediately apparent because it is very different than 10 mm-hmm. but one of the things I found when I was putting my ranked playlist together was just like dang I would I would actually say that verses is the more consistent record because the the 10 is weaker but also versus doesn't as consistently get as glorious as 10 does but um, I would say versus has less overall weakness to it than 10 does
1: it sits more in the middle I got you.
0: like like I, I like uh, for me on 10 like songs like porch and deep kind of Drag the album down a little bit. They're not bad. It's just it's it's an obvious dip in quality. Yeah, um, where you don't really have that as much on verses, and there are songs like Rearview Mirror, and um, I'm, I can't believe I'm about to say this entire title, but Elderly Woman Behind the Counter in a Small Town. That's a great song. Uh, Daughter and Dissident, like those are all songs that are worthy being among the greatest Pearl Jam songs. I mean, just again, when you're having to compete with stuff like Jeremy and Alive and Black and even Flow, it's just it's it's difficult
1: because <laughs> so so that's, that's a high bar to set. Would you would you say they had like a, a a linear downtrend with their stuff? No. Huh. I do not. Because I mean, we're talking about like their greatest songs being on their first two things
0: no because um i would say the mid 90s is a is a fairly tough period and i think that um they come out of it and there's a lot and i didn't even get to get this far in their discovery but a lot of the stuff i've read is that their 2009 album backspacer is like is a contender for the best album that's not 10. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't have time to get to that because there's a lot of albums up to that point. But that's everything that I've read. Is that like, that's, it's a surprising, great late career record. Um, and then I would say 97's Yield is better than, um, is better than 96's No Code. And, and I would say it's, it's pretty close with Vitology. Hmm. I think Vitology has, oh man, I'd say yield might be better. Although Vitology is definitely more interesting, just because it gets so weird and so experimental. But so it's they, also they, got some really bad
1: moments. They kind of they kind of did the uh, the Judas Priest mid career dip, and then twenty years later came back with a vengeance, sort of thing.
0: Yeah, it was just about twenty years because Backspacer is from 09 so that was almost
1: that's twenty years. Eighteen, yeah. That's pretty interesting. That I would not have guessed that they would, that they would release something that was so well received so far to their career, being a group that released their stuff in their mid twenties. Yeah, that's that's okay. That's cool. Anyway, enough of enough of yeah off side, off the
0: yeah of let's let's move on to a song that's got some very compelling story behind it
1: yes, so I think I know some of the story, but to not taint anything, I'll have you begin this oh, I, was, I was i was gonna I
0: was gonna ask what oh, do you know about it okay,
1: so what do I know? I don't know. I feel like the I've seen the video before, but it's been a long time. I feel like the video talks about a very particular shooting incident. and uh, in a school, maybe. And that's yes. what the lyrics talk about. So and it's
0: so Eddie got the answer. <laughs> that's no, it's okay. I'm not correcting okay. you. No, everything you said was technically true. Okay, good. Um, Eddie came across a story in a newspaper about a uh, a kid in Texas named Jeremy that uh, committed suicide in front of his class. Oh, that's what Jeremy spoke in class today
1: means. Wow, that's that's really intense. Okay,
0: it's a it is a it is an extremely dark song. And it's it's kind of one of the go to songs of like songs that you don't realize are really, really heavy lyrically. Because yeah. it's because it's it's kind of an upbeat sounding song, although you can definitely feel like there's some anger and some emotion. It's not like a it's not like a dour, depressing song. It doesn't even sound like super aggressive and angry. Yeah. Like it's it's kind of more of just like oh this is just a this is a rock
1: song. That's so weird.
0: So yeah. um so yeah the the and there's actually another story from Eddie's own childhood that he mixes in with this about mm. a kid that he knew named Brian that he used to bully and that almost had a similar experience except instead of shooting himself he unloaded a gun in the aquarium room with a class full of kids Eddie wasn't in the room but he was in the hall and heard the gunshots and found out that it was a kid that he had bullied before and kind of made him like kind of rethink how he was and so he's he's putting himself in the narrative as part of the problem that whole second verse is from the bully's perspective and really from his own you know I remember picking on the boy, uh, but we unleashed a lion. Yeah, and you surprise, and he hit me with a surprise left.
1: Mm-hmm. I guess and, that, that part deviates a little bit from the.
0: Well, pretty much, he's 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 kind of he's talking about what could have possibly driven a kid to do something like this and he's drawing from his own experience and really again saying like kind of like raising his hand saying hey i i'm part of the problem i'm not just up here on my soapbox saying you know we need to do but he's like he's pretty much he's he's saying that like i have contributed to this by wow. by using his own experience and not completely removing himself Kept taking like a holier than thou perspective of like yeah it's easy to say when you're not physically in that situation and so he's immediately through that you know he's just like I've been the bully I've been the person that's driven a kid
1: to do something like this this is really this is just really dark because I was actually playing with uh, a group of guys this weekend and we just jammed this song because we all knew it. I am not oh wow I'm not ever going to see this song the same ever again. Mm-hmm. It is one of those ones when you realize it's just like oh okay
0: but at the same time once you do the power of this song becomes so much bigger.
1: Yeah that whole that Indian whole section just has so much weight. Oh yeah. And then
0: um, I would say that I think that this is Eddie's best performance. I think that this has all of a lot of his best melodies and he just, he is the star of this song that and, and mm-hmm. Jeff Amitt's six string bass or 12 string bass.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. 12 string. So is that what the sound is at the beginning and end of the song? Yeah. I was going to ask what that was. I thought that's they 12 were 12 like string bass, piano strings or something.
0: Now that's... the the harmonics are from the guitar, but that don boom.
1: That's 12 string bass. Wow. That's a lot of strings. So it must be the tripled up uh, four sets of three bass. Maybe or
0: I I have no idea what a, what you would even do with a twelve
1: string bass or what it, what that even looks like. Twelve string bass. Let's just go on to Google Images real quick because <laughs> I have heard of a twelve string bass where it's four sets of three. Uh, and I've seen it played, and it's really a, yeah yeah four sets of three. That's that so seems like so
0: much. That my my mind immediately went to a six string bass, kind of like a guitar would be.
1: Yeah, there's certainly different versions here on on the Google, uh, but the most common one I'm seeing is the four sets of three. But I have seen those played, and they have a really weird tone. But the things that you can do, like the sounds you can make with those things, are just alien. I bet. It, I mean, this this the intro to this song is just like you can immediately tell that there's something unique happening. Yeah, you can't... It, it, it just can't put your finger on it. It's like the uh, like that, that fourth section of Supper's Ready or something. Where it's like, what is that? Like, it sounds familiar. It's an instrument we know. It's played with a technique that we know, but it's just not the... Can't put your finger on it. So that's really... I, I always liked that little opening because it was just something that wasn't... Uh, you don't hear that on any other song ever. Mm-hmm. Um, those things are really really cool to listen to that it's not um just guitar based drums kind of thing um it, it adds some more three-dimensionality to the music but man i think what takes the cake is that ending section yeah of all of the parts of that song mm-hmm just layering vocal after vocal after vocal, uh, different guitar, little diddlies here. If you really, really look for them, Uh, the drums really going after it. But the vocals, I mean, you're right. There's just so many parts that just come together and add this really just emotionally intense performance. And it's really awesome.
0: Yeah, and then just yeah, and yeah, the music video is just is just genius the way that it
1: all comes together. I'll have to watch I'll have to watch that.
0: Yeah. Um I mean not only does it I mean it pretty clearly shows you what the lyrical themes are, but also just Eddie's presence on it is is definitely is very charismatic. You can tell that he you can understand why he all of a sudden became an icon with uh, after that video
1: a piece of music history that's it okay
0: so i mean and i mean you know that that's that is a huge climactic cathartic moment in of itself and so definitely after that
1: it's you know we gotta yeah figure out a way to kind of pull things back we get that little moment at the end where things kind of die down a little bit, and it leads us right into what I guess is the side B of the Jeremy single, so to speak, mm-hmm. or one of them. I guess that correctly. It helps that the album is named Jeremy, so you can kind of put two and two together. Yeah. Um, this is the one that I thought was the Bob Dylan cover, but I guess not. So this is Yellow Ledbetter. Yes. So, so with, a, with a nice, clean guitar. Mm-hmm. This,
0: this might be the greatest B-side of all time. As mm. far as like a song, this, this was not even on an album. This was something that was relegated to a B-side and has become like one of, if not the fan favorite song.
1: The fan that okay,
0: this is what they close their concerts with, and it's one of those where like it's the big audience sing along. They put the they you know they put the floor lights on, and you can see everyone, and just like everyone joins in.
1: That's actually kind of awesome. I would not have guessed that this would be such a big. I thought this was like the, the. uh The not the fan favorite, but like the fans know it and appreciate. I didn't figure it was the fan favorite. I thought the fan favorite would be something like Alive or something. You know, one of those one of those big ones because you know their their big songs are just so good. But yeah, this song is still good too. It's a completely different feel than our first three. It's so much slower. Things are mm-hmm. clean. I mean, we're, we have much less energy, but it's still got that that signature Eddie Better vocal laying on top that you can't understand what he's singing. But yeah, you'll And it anyway.
0: And um, so the other things that the other thing that makes this so interesting is that there is no meaning to this song. What? No. So he uh, he literally improvised the lyrics on the spot and just uh, like just literally and they did the song in one take and he had no lyrics to it and he just was making it up as he went and was just pulling phrases that he thought sounded cool. That's super cool yeah which i mean good lord you he came up with such a great melody just right there on the spot and you can you can tell that this is a demo level recording because it's everything is very kind of lo-fi and um uh jeff Amitt was very sad that this got left off uh the first record because he was just like i don't i don't know how this this got squeezed off but you know i'm glad that it's kind of created this new life Mm -hmm. afterward it just they just started playing it live and just they found that everybody uh was connecting with it and they were just like oh man i guess this is a becoming a fan favorite
1: yeah with the meaningless lyrics
0: and yeah so it was it started off as the Uh, as the b-side to Jeremy and then it and later like almost 10 years later it got released as a single in of itself and it like made it number 21 on the on the pop charts
1: that's kind of awesome
0: so uh but yeah no one no one knows what it's about um one of the one of the running jokes is that um that yellow lead better is just a euphemism for the fact that you can't understand anything that he's saying. And so it's just, it's almost like a like a, like a googly set of words. Yeah. Um, and whenever he sings it live, he will often switch the lyrics to sing something different, depending okay. on what the context is of, you know, kind of what's going on in the world at that time. And, but he'll always keep the chorus the same so everyone can sing along. That's but I mean, can you imma- can you imagine an entire stadium of people doing that 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 chorus? You could imagine that that's probably pretty powerful.
1: Yeah. Because it's just it's very anthemic. Mhm. Like it doesn't it doesn't sound anthemic. Obviously it sounds quote-unquote demo level, not to say that the sound engineering is bad, but you don't get the feeling of there being a million people singing this chorus all at once, and yet it would fit that so well. Mm-hmm. And obviously it does, as you're telling me. Um, man, I cannot. I, to answer the question, no, I cannot imagine. I'll just have to see a video of it sometime.
0: And this just also leads me to the fact that um so many of their of their b-sides and their and their leftover songs are honestly some of their better songs wow. um if you listen to the extended version of 10 and hear like the the expanded version that has uh some some extra songs that didn't make it several of them are in the top 25 like um uh, like at number 12 is, is a, it literally says demo next to it. It's called breath. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this is an amazing song. Just a girl. Um, hmm. And just state of love and trust alone. Like these are all like great songs. Footsteps, which is also off of the Jeremy single like these are all songs that were written during the time of ten. It was just you know they had too many songs and they were just like we just got we got to pick the ones that are going to make it on the record. It really shows that they were they were really on
1: a great streak. Also shows that they didn't know what was a hit. If they well, if some of the well stuff remember also the
0: hits were not as important for them.
1: That's a good point.
0: But I think I think if you take off like Porch or Deep or maybe even Why Go, and put uh, some of these songs on there, you might have you might have something that that rivals and eclipses Nevermind for the ultimate grunge record.
1: Ooh, actually, I I've, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. I've never understood Nevermind. That's okay. I
0: understand. Never mind. And it's, it absolutely deserves, uh, all of the praise that it gets. It's one of those records that I listen to. And I'm just like, good God, how did they make, how did they make a pop record that sounds like this? Cause that's what it is. And it's under, underneath all of the, all the distortion and, and, the and the, the grunginess of it is that it's a pop record. It's a, it's, it's, it's almost like a Beatles record, but you just you just put a very different color of paint on it, and it's never mind. But I think that it's a brilliant record, and I think that it I think it does deserve all of the all of the praise that it gets.
1: This is such a curse of, like, talking about the big four or five of grunge, or even talking about the big four of thrash those episodes we always end up talking about the other bands <laughs> more than the band we're actually talking about i think we spent like a good half an hour in our last metallica episode talking about firing dave mustaine <laughs> and not about the actual um, san francisco orchestra collaboration effort well, we had to we had to establish context. We had to establish context. Here we are talking about uh, "Nevermind," um, and how it's it's a pop record with a grunge coat of paint in the middle of our Pearl, Pearl Jam episode. Yeah, it's just it's the way it is.
0: But but yeah, I mean this this is this has been an incredibly astounding rise from a obscure song that literally only the diehard fans could get their hands on. Mm-hmm. Most people learned about it from their live shows and were like trying to figure out where do we find the song? And to it becoming like again like there will be a lot of Pearl Jam people that will say that this is their best song. Wow. People people love it and believe in
1: it that much. I do like the um, the change in the lyrics. Because that kind, of, that kind of thing really lends itself to a new experience every time you see them. Uh-huh. Which is always, always what you want in a live band. But, man. Yeah, it, it's it's certainly a different vibe from our first three songs. And that shows their versatility, I think. Also, I yeah. think you
0: have to admit that it's poetic that we go from Jeremy to the Jeremy B side.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I guess we're kind of still saying in that that early years. So let's move very daringly a year ahead. Oh man, a year ahead, further than we've ever gone. Oh no, year. it's
0: it's uh, we're this is three years ahead. Oh,
1: this is this is ninety well, four. This is a year ahead of rearview mirror.
0: So yes, it, it is. This is yeah.
1: really uncharted waters for this episode. Uh, Vit vitology, vitology, vitality. I,
0: I never really quite know how to
1: say that. Vitology,
0: <laughs> vitology.
1: So this I'm is just going to uh, call it vitology. This is better man. Yes. So, who is who is the better man?
0: Um, it is his stepdad. Oh well, and it is not. He's not using better man as a you know because the whole hook is can't find a better man he's not saying like oh he's so great you can't find better the whole point of the song is about it's from his mother's perspective she lies and says that she's in love with him she just can't find a better man she's mm-hmm. she's staying in a marriage that she knows she's not happy in but she just doesn't think that she can do better
1: she's settling mm-hmm. That's and, such an eerie intro, too. Yeah. Knowing the stories behind these songs make it so weird. Mm-hmm. Wow. Crazy
0: thing is, is that uh, Eddie wrote this while he was still in high school.
1: Oh. It's
0: one of the first songs he ever wrote, and he just he held on to it. So this was originally meant to be on verses, and this is the one I was talking about earlier in our first segment where – he wrote it, they recorded it, or at least the demo of it, and their uh, their producer said, man, you just wrote a hit record. And Eddie said, uh, no, no, I don't want a hit record. And so he took it off of Versus. But then the rest of the band kind of was just like, no, man, this song's too good. We can't. He was even going to give it away to another band. Wow. Because he just, he didn't want to have something that was so blatant, a pop song, because This is a, this is a pure pop song. It is, I mean, it's, it's full of hooks. It's, it's one of their most direct arrangements. Um, It's just, it's, it's a pure song. There's no bells and whistles to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally they convinced him to put it on the third record and they did, but they still, he still refused to release it as a single but it's just it's just gone on to become one of the fan favorites and what pretty much the the fans will universally say is the best song off that album
1: hmm it okay. even
0: became uh, it even became david letterman's favorite uh favorite song and he got to he was the one that got to induct them into the hall of fame
1: that's cool yeah that is really cool. That's that's but that's got to be such a weird like experience to have your one of your band members say, "Oh, this is a hit. Let's not release it." Uh huh. Like that's because what I, that's again, what I mean when it's like if you're intentionally trying to run from hits, aren't you still letting the outside world influence your music? I guess
0: so. When you're when you're doing it that intentionally. Yeah. Again, he he was he was struggling a lot with fame. And he was he was so scared of falling into the same pitfalls that everyone else around him was falling into that he he probably had too intense of a reaction the other way because I mean to sit on a song like Better Man is just it's a it's a shame.
1: Yeah. Can't find a better song. Ah, am I right?
0: Well, <laughs> well. again, in this context, you don't want to be saying that because it's not be- – the whole idea of a better man is not a compliment. Whenever he plays this song live, the way he introduces it is, this song is about the bastard my wife married – or my mom married.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Well, then I uh, can't find a worse song. Yeah. There so
0: – uh, and we're really gonna the next the our final song is gonna be what really kind of gives us so much of the context about why he is at such odds with his father or
1: his stepdad. Oh, okay. So, would you like to go there now?
0: Yeah, I so, would definitely like to. Um, I mean, triumphant Ender with alive.
1: Yeah, alive. So this is, like, their most listened to, according to Spotify, mm -hmm. by, like, 20 million. Yeah. In the context of the 300 millions, that's not too much, but 20 million. Man, can you imagine having 300 million? Anyway, sorry. Just, I'm getting, now I'm letting the fame get to my head. Okay, so (laughs) we open with that nice guitar line that you had mentioned when we were talking about Even Flow. And yeah, that reverb, that just little bit of reverb really sends home that awesome sound engineering. And that opening line, just very subtle. I don't even know what he's saying, but it's just executed perfectly. Son, she (laughs) said, have I
0: got a little story for you. Who you thought was your daddy was nothing but a... While you were sitting home alone at age 13, your real daddy was dying. Sorry you didn't see him, but I'm glad we talked.
1: I have listened to that lyric and have known those lyrics for two years now. This makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. Wow. So
0: So his parents divorced when he was only one year old. And and she quickly remarried to his stepfather. So he actually grew up for a good part of his childhood believing that that was his real father. Yes. And was and was told when he was in teenage when he was a teenager that um, that he, that's your stepdad, and by the way, your real dad's dead. You've never met him. Well, you met him once, but you didn't. He, like we didn't tell you that that was your dad. Wow, and that. He, Eddie he said that that like literally changed his entire life and that he was just like, like he didn't like his stepdad before, but then when he found that out, he like, you know, that was, that was the nail on the coffin. I'm just like, well, yeah, well, definitely I'm not going to view you as a father anymore because you're not my real father. And you, and you tried to pretend like you were. Wow. Wow. And and, and just, again, the fact that, like, it's not like he can go and try and have that relationship now with his dad because he's dead. And so, um, and he, he was told that his father was a musician, not anyone famous at all, but just, like, someone that, like, you know, he had musical talent and would play around at restaurants and whatever little small gigs he could get. And he said the thing that pissed him off was that, once his mother told him the truth all his family members started coming up and say oh you get your musical gift from your dad and he was just like bull crap you've been playing along with this lie this whole time and now you're gonna come forward and start telling me all these things that like you know now that I'm you know especially when he started getting famous it's just like oh it was just like your dad and he was just like you didn't even bother to tell me the truth in the first place yeah. And now and now you're almost you're like you're trying to almost in a way take credit for you know for my success saying you know this dad that I never knew was the reason why you were completely willing to be complicit in all that. So it was it was an event that really messed with him.
1: Yeah. As it would any sane human being.
0: So when we get to that chorus he said that it was this was widely misinterpreted the i'm still alive is not a positive affirmation it is a it is a a curse a my father is dead and i have to still be alive that's it's it was something he viewed as a negative thing why why did i why do i still get to be here when my dad that i wish that i would have known this whole time is dead Wow, but the thing that ended up happening was because of the fact that all the fans took that as a positive affirmation and they constantly kept getting, you know, letters and people coming up and saying that, you know, alive really saved my life. I was in a dark place and this helped me, you know, find the will to live. He said that he feels that uh, that the fans have redeemed the meaning of the song. And now just like they can he can see it as a positive thing that he can that he can say i yeah i am still alive and i can do something with my life that's quite awesome that is so yeah but then we also get this really weird second verse this was the like i when i first heard the song i felt like i gathered the message of the first verse it was about someone that you know the, their dad wasn't their real dad. Finds out their real dad's dead. But then I was just like, then why do we cut to this verse about? Oh, she walks slowly across a young man's room. Like I felt I was just like, it's like is this like one of those things where like the three verses each like contribute to the theme of being alive? Or I I, I didn't understand it.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah.
0: Um, the real meaning is really disturbing. Um and this this is straight from Eddie Vedder himself, so this is not anyone interpreting it this way. But he says that as the and he said that this part is not autobiographical, by the way. He's just he's just taking this the the first verse is from his own life, but then he takes it in a different direction fictionally. He said that um he always felt that his mother you know, her heart was always with her, with his biological dad and there's a reason why like in the lyrics of Better Man, she could never fully love him was because she really he had her heart this whole time and that when he died, she lost her one true love but that the son grows up to be exactly like his father and that in a weird incestuous way she comes to him in a sexual way because she wants to relive the passion that she had with her old husband her way of wow. proce- her way of processing the grief is to transfer the the love that she's been holding on to onto her son
1: it's Talk about really liberty
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, whoa, okay, yeah, that's a that's a really different approach.
1: Wow. Okay. Okay. I'm glad you've prefaced that with saying this is from Eddie Vetter himself, or else I would not have believed you.
0: hmm
1: Okay. These songs are intense. And so and so
0: that honestly makes the third verse really hit home is something wrong she said of course there is you're still alive she said oh and do i deserve to be is that the question and if so who answers
1: Ooh. Oh my goodness and then
0: we got that that sweet, sweet guitar solo to send everything home.
1: yep, yep it's got a it's got a very different catharsis than Jeremy. I've always kind of in a weird way viewed Jeremy and alive as like the same kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. very linear they kind of open with that little guitar line, right? Kind of similar riffs, similar tempos. Uh, but you have a very different cathartic moment. Jeremy, you've got the, the vocals at the end, the layers upon layers upon layers, which is really good. But alive, you just have that rocking guitar solo, man. And it's not it's not a technical guitar solo. You're not looking for speed here. You're looking for just, hey, I'm going to play feeling. solo, guys, you know? play around for you know, four bars or so. I'm just going to jam a little bit. Type of guitar solo, which is some of the most fun you have playing with other musicians when you just improvise together. Mm-hmm. And it's not even like you're looking for a good little lick or whatever, which there are some pretty good licks in here. But you're not looking for a good lick. You're just looking to have fun. And that's just that's such a contrast from the lyrics. I mean, maybe that's a product of just having written the songs first yeah i think so but but
0: yet at the same time it in a weird way it all works
1: it just does yeah lightning just struck
0: it really did so this was the first song that eddie played with the band like when they flew him up to seattle for his audition this was the first thing they played together 'Cause this was Last. on that demo that he had that he had written new lyrics for.
1: That's kind of cool. Their first song they ever played together is one of their if not their biggest. Mm-hmm. So was, you could really say that Alive
0: is the song that started everything for Pearl Jam. It was the first single. And I mean it wasn't the first song on the record or else it would have been a perfect three for three. Yeah. First first played first released first on first album but it doesn't unfortunately work out that tidy
1: yeah <laughs> uh,
0: but part. but yeah I mean just I I was just like I have to have this song on this set somewhere originally I was thinking of maybe putting it in the middle of the set but then I was just like but I feel like Jeremy needs to be on there also and Jeremy will only fit in the middle and then I was just like do I be so bold as to end with alive? Cuz if I do, I got to figure out how to get there and make it feel natural. And then yeah. when I and then when I finally put everything together I was just like, "Okay, I think this is it. I think this will work."
1: Yeah. And and it, yeah, it, the feeling
0: it, you have by the that end of that
1: guitar solo, that's that's your that's your great catharsis moment right there. It was it was a catharsis of catharsis. It was another good set. It followed a lot of the uh, stereotypical Lucas six song set things, but a lot of this music follows kind of that stereotypical classic rock stuff, and yet mm-hmm. it's just good. You can't deny that this music is just good. It's just at, it, at its core,
0: is? it's at its core, it's well written.
1: It's just good written music that's what this is just good the good music podcast
0: that's right
1: that's what we're here to enjoy so hopefully you guys enjoyed this set i did i listened to it eight ten fifteen times in the past week or so um, just jamming out to it while i'm doing my work or whatever so please what was... please please check out these songs
0: so, whenever you heard the first notes of Even Flow, you were just like, "Oh
1: yes, please!" Yes, I was, and I was expecting a whole lot of songs from Ten, but I knew that you weren't going to do only <laughs> songs from Ten. That's just not the way that this podcast works. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I I expected to kind of get thrown into some songs that I wasn't expecting, and I was like three of these songs well yellow led better i've heard once but i was not familiar with it uh but rearview mirror and better man i never heard before and i really liked it. i mean rearview mirror was just the the 10 formula essentially um, yeah well we cause...
0: we can get further into that with our final thoughts anyway yeah i'm starting with final thoughts we should we should uh
1: cut it short here <laughs>
0: So, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to give our final thoughts about Pearl Jam. So, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We just talking about Pearl Jam and the six songs of theirs that we picked for this episode just as a recap. Those songs are Even Flow, Rearview Mirror, Jeremy, Yellow Lead Better, Better Man, and Alive. And the way that you can go listen to those songs is there's a link in the description of the episode to take you to a Spotify playlist where you can listen to not just the songs from this episode, but all the songs from our previous episode as well. That list is starting to get quite hefty. Yeah, so even if you just want to hit shuffle on that thing, and you're going to get quite the variety. The ultimate listening
1: station, if you will. It'll, it'll all be good for sure. Yeah. You might get
0: some weird stuff, though, with some of our ancient Egyptian and Greek music.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we're up to the 800s now. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, make sure you go check
0: those out. It'd be a shame if you listened to this whole episode. You didn't listen to the songs. Even if you have heard them before, if you're a Pearl Jam fan, hearing them in this order, I promise you, you're going to get a different experience from it. Right. So make sure you go check them out. So now, time to give our final thoughts. So, Grant, you ended with a – or you started off with a seven, so after talking about them and learning about all this stuff about them, where do you stand with Pearl Jam now?
1: Well, it's and I'm sorry to any Pearl Jam tens or eights or nines. <laughs> I don't know if I could move up to an eight yet. I mean there's a there's some there's some things that need to happen. I mean, if I fall in love with two albums, that kind of that kind of does it. And I can see that possibly happening if I end up really liking verses or some of their later Comeback with a Vengeance stuff. Um, so that could happen. And if I really end up putting some more Pearl Jam on repeat, then I can see myself moving to an 8. But I'm not there yet. I'm still stuck at a 7. I've definitely affirmed that I'm definitely, definitely a 7 and that I like Pearl Jam. Uh, coming back to them and revisiting them was nice and it was good to see um, that a band that i used to or songs that i used to listen to a lot are still good and i still find them being good you're um, not embarrassed that you used to listen to them. yeah i'm not yes yeah, what i mean yeah i'm not embarrassed that i used to listen to, it, and it's not like i've moved past it like there's nothing to move I don't want to say there's nothing move past that makes makes it seem like there's no music here, but you can't move past this because it's just good. And we talked about that at the very end of uh, the last segment. That you, you didn't outgrow deny, it. You can't deny what uh, what is good, and we've talked about that a lot in in other episodes that are just very simple music, but you can't deny the power of it, um, which is kind of the the Pearl Jam philosophy i guess or at least the songs that we've talked about that you can't deny the power of just simple strong songwriting um the the talk about the lyrics was really interesting and we don't do that a lot in our episodes um, it kind of depends on it.
0: if uh yeah. if the lyrics are the the type to be deep and these definitely right.
1: were right and and so that was really nice um, to be able to talk about some deep and meaningful lyrics, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, my favorite song, kind of obvious because I could not stop talking about the really cool parts in it, Even Flow. But I mean, there was a time when I was really obsessed with Alive. There was a time where I was really obsessed with Jeremy, and Jeremy takes a really close second to Even Flow. Um, I just. Yeah, Of the three that weren't on 10, Rearview Mirror, I think, wins. Because um, it's just got that same linear progression. It's got the intensity, for it's sure. Got the intensity and it's got intensity, and it's got... I mean, the other... Better Man also has the, the lyrical meanings, but Rearview Mirror is just... It's got that lyrics, too, uh, that are really meaningful and really cool. I just... I don't know. It's just... It was a good episode. It was a nice, simple episode. You don't have to talk about weird time signatures or or interesting <laughs> music theory. You can just sit back and listen to some great music, which is so, so nice. I hope that somebody is first getting introduced to Pearl Jam through this episode and you're like, man, this is good music. I'm going to check out some more stuff. Um, obviously, I've already listened to 10, so if I was going to check out more stuff, I couldn't really listen to 10 again because it wouldn't be new. But I think I should uh, check out that ranked playlist and just go in that order. Just listen to the top 25. Yeah. I, like, I feel like their discography is, is going to be, uh, other than 10, be really balanced between the the eras.
0: Yeah. And um, just as a, a disclaimer, my ranked playlist goes all the way up to their 2002 record
1: Riot Act. Oh wow! Okay. That's
0: that's still like uh, five, six, seven albums, plus all of the all of the, the B sides and bonus tracks that would have come out during that time period as well.
1: Oh, so that's a that's still a lot of music.
0: Yeah, it was a uh, hundred and ten songs this week. About about. A- Eight hours or so of music, which again, if I do that twice in the week, that's sixteen hours of my week listening to
1: these songs. That's a you should start serving minimum wage.
0: Which, when you when you work full time and also have three small kids, that's that's no uh, small feat. That is no small. Because thing. I also make sure that if I'm listening to these songs, I'm like intentionally listening and not just having them on in the background
1: yeah that's that's so i I sacrifice for you guys as far as your
0: final thoughts yes um so i kind of agree with you i don't i can't see myself yet getting past a seven that's you have to start to really get serious about a band if you're going to get up into an eight like that's that's something you're going to really devote yourself to being kind of a hardcore fan or you have to start really using them as a very big influence in the way that you're writing music and performing and playing. And I think, I think Pearl Jam could get there. They're just, I think I need more time with them. I have the feeling that, and I'm already kind of starting to experience this, that Until you do the work on deciphering what the songs mean and you start to listen to them over and over and over again, the songs grow on, these are the kinds of songs that grow on you the more you sit with them. It's not, they're not as much about hitting you really hard on the first time. I think that that's another reason why 10 is different than all their other records. Their other records, you kind of have to really sit with them a while and find the deeper meaning in them to get the full experience. Where with 10, it's a little bit less work-intensive. You can can really get a lot of the greatness out of the first couple listens because it's just the hooks are there, the riffs are there, the solos. It's all very on the top, but still some great stuff hidden underneath the surface. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So I definitely want to continue to delve into Pearl Jam to, to find more stuff. I mean, there's still, there's still a good, you know, five, four or five albums that I haven't even gotten to yet. And I still haven't listened to Backspacer, which is everything I've read is, is a, is up there with their best. So I'd be, I'm, I, my work with Pearl Jam and my time with Pearl Jam is not over yet. So I could I could see myself getting to an eight, just not yet. But I would definitely say I'm a much stronger seven than I was before. Yeah. I feel like I understand what they're about, why they do the way they why they do the way they do. <laughs> and and really understanding why they deserve their place in the rock pantheon. My favorite song. I mean, Alive was easily my favorite coming into it. And I would say it still is, but man, Jeremy really just pushed its way up. It's the one that I could not stop myself from just singing all day, every day.
1: Yeah. It's got, it's just got the melodies.
0: Yeah. I mean, just, I would just be like walking, you know, walking around just going, Daddy! daddy, daddy yeah, oh. <laughs> and, I'd, and I'd be like, wait, I gotta not do that. People are gonna think I'm a freak. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so, I still think that is my favorite, but I would say that Jeremy really closed the gap in a major way. <laughs> um, Harry, my son, my four-year-old son, loved Pearl Jam. I... Let him listen to the uh, the e- the edited version of Jeremy. Yes. So that way he didn't hear the F word. Yeah. Uh, but that but that was his favorite song, and I, I sent you a video of him singing it. Yeah. And I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on our Instagram page when we <laughs> announce this episode. <laughs> because I did not teach him to use that voice. He did his own version of a hunger dunger dang. <laughs> and it's the funniest thing I've ever heard and he literally will just walk around the house going Jeremy's class today (laughs) and we'll sing it like I did not say like oh you got to use this voice that's just that's just what he did he did it naturally which just shows that it's universal you have to hunger dunger dang these songs or it just doesn't work it's part of the DNA (laughs) Yeah. So, um so yeah, he loved Pearl Jam. Good. And um uh, my wife Callie, her pick for her favorite was
1: Alive. She didn't because, give me a reason uh, why.
0: She just said, "Yeah, I like that
1: one." Oh, not th- not for the optimism. Optimism. I mean, she boy. probably
0: thought it was optimistic.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess Harry's pick is Jeremy. Yes. Yeah,
0: I I thought I I thought I emphasized that, but maybe. Well, I I mean,
1: you were just confirming. But
0: yeah. Um, And then in the range playlist, where everything sits, so I've got rearview mirror at number six, or no, at number one, two,
1: three, four, five. So I
0: got, I've got better man at number eight.
1: Okay. Rearview
0: mirror at six, even flow at five. Yellow better at four. Jeremy at three. And Alive at one. So we still don't have the number two.
1: We still don't have the number two. Huh. What could it be? I guess I'll find out when I listen to the Ranked playlist. Yeah, I'll send it to you. That'll that'll be a fun experience.
0: Yeah, it was fun.
1: Yes. So I, I would encourage anyone who is uh, looking for some... Looking for some uh, further listening? If you want to listen along, I guess we have the ranked playlist on your Spotify page. Is that correct?
0: Yes, it's, and I, I try really hard to remember to to make it public on the day that the episode comes out.
1: Yeah. And Sometimes so maybe, I forget, but I usually remember within a couple days. Maybe we can we can compare notes uh, next episode, um, which definitely you guys. Should join us for that episode. When, it's going to be fun.
0: When you listen to it, uh, if you want to start, do the top 25. WMA from Versus is your number 25. You could just go down from there.
1: Okay. Okay. Good enough.
0: All right. All right. Well, that's our episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday at midnight. Next week is going to be fun because we're going to get into a genre we have never done before. We're going to, I'm we're going to get into true blues.
1: True, I so uh, I bet I know where we're going. So we've we've done like like blues rock,
0: you know, like talking about ZZ Top and Rolling Stones, but like we haven't done like a true blues artist to where it's just like it's not it's not it's not rock influence it's 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 the real thing so um make sure that you tune in next week for that and um we have two links in our episode description one as i said earlier takes you to that spotify playlist the other one takes you to our patreon page where uh you can get access to episodes early you can get hear them the friday before you get a couple days advance, as well as our bad music podcast segment, where we talk about uh, an artist's six worst songs. And you're definitely going to want to tune in for the Pearl Jam one, because, boy, this is it's one of the
1: worst bottom six we've ever done. Yeah, it's really bad. Like, I wouldn't say – actually, you know what I am going to say? Every single one of them is just bad. Yeah, and the the worst one is
0: going to do very, very well in our end-of-year worst song bracket where we try and determine what's the worst song that we heard all year. And Ethan's going to come back for that. Oh, yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, so that's going to be at the end of the year. That alone is going to be worth the Patreon subscription. So make sure that you go check that out. And then also check us out on Instagram and Facebook. That is the best way to get a hold of us, to let us know what episodes you want us to do let us know what your favorite artists is we try and do one of those once a month and that's what next week's episode is going to be is uh, a fan requested uh, episode so um, make sure you hit us up there and that's it i'm lucas i'm grant keep on listening to good music